Mark, how are we doing? Yes, we are about to start studying my favorite book of the Bible. It's amazing. If, uh, if you were here when we studied Philippians, um, I need to ask your forgiveness. Hey, I said that was my favorite book of the Bible, as I did when we studied Proverbs. And you got the joke or you wouldn't have laughed earlier. But I told you when we uh, started Philippians, if there was a letter I would write to you all, it would be Philippians. No, nope. <laughs> this would be the letter. And I'm telling you guys, the reason I'm at, what, thank you for the privilege of um, getting to spend time with the word of God in a unique way that you create for me, that I might open it with you and be reminded of why God preserved it. Right? This is not an idle word that God has given us. It is, it is to be put to work and it is a living, breathing, active, powerful source of the infinite God of the universe to speak into our hearts and to reveal. It's a revelation. God is pulling back the curtain and showing us something. And we would do well to pay attention to it. And so we are going to study these next uh, couple of months, First Thessalonians, and it's going to be amazing. Um, I've already been blessed. Let me just um, set it up by just telling you just a, a couple of historical facts. I don't want to do much of this. I don't want to waste your time giving you a lot of information that you can spend two minutes in front of any study Bible and find out for yourself. But let's just set a little context here, uh, if I can. And I want to show you that this is a book that was born during Paul's second missionary journey and was written during his second missionary journey. It was a book that was written very close to the time that Paul had already spent with some folks. And so this is the second missionary journey of Paul. If you remember when we talked through Acts, which for a long time was my favorite book, <laughs> when we went through it together. And you might want to go back sometime in these next number of weeks and listen specifically to the message I did on Acts 17, because that really talks about his time in Thessalonica. What's amazing is Paul was only there for three weeks. And, and I think just, I'm going to give you an application before we even start. And that is just simply this. Don't ever discount what God can do in three weeks or three days. I was just in El Salvador for three days with about 600 pastors. And I've been getting text messages back from them. Um, we, we, we translated, come and see into Spanish. And some friends are down there recently. And, and there was a pastor in the pulpit holding up a Spanish translation of come and see and talking about the scripture in that book that's come alive to him. Don't ever discount what God can do in three weeks or, 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 or three days, or I would just tell you in three hours when you're with somebody that you can impart to them a, a source of strength and life when you get together as a community. And don't discount what God can do in three minutes. It's all it takes to share the gospel with somebody. There are people all around this city that don't understand what I'm about to teach you tonight. And don't discount the privileges you have in engaging with a waiter, a waitress, somebody whose car you're in, what God can do in that little glimpse of time. This is a book that was born out of three Sabbaths of preaching. And God preserved it. Now listen, there's a reason that Paul went to Thessalonica, but there's a reason that God sends you into every conversation that you're in. 
This is true of what was going on in Thessalonica. In that second missionary journey, as um, you can see a map uh, here behind me, um, Paul left the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, where they were basically validating Paul's ministry to non-Jews, because the early church was made up of all Jews. I want to remind you, this is not a new religion, Christianity. It is the finality of the one revelation that God has given men. It's why when I talk to Jewish friends, I don't ever try and make them not Jewish. I tell them it's the most Jewish thing that you can do is believe in the Messiah. And I just explain to them that I am, I am, I am um, living in the benefit of what God promised the nation of Israel. And so anyway, out of Acts 15, um, there was a group of guys, Paul, another guy that was with him was a guy called Silas. Um, Silvanus uh, is, is another way to refer to him. You'll see him show up in just a second. And they made their way back up, as you can see, um, you know, to Antioch, where, where was the church that sent Paul out. And then Paul went back through a lot of the region that he spent on his first missionary journey. Paul took the gospel where it had never been before. And so that Galatian region right there, okay? And then they made their way over, which is modern-day Turkey. That's all you're looking at because the Bible is a historical book and it dares to, to um, allow you to see God working in the context of human history. It's not just a writing of um, philosophy or ideas. It is God working in history and you can test it and verify it. I've been to a bunch of these cities. Um, Ephesus and Troas, they're still there. Thessalonica is still there today. But let me show you why um, this was so strategic, okay? This is what's called the Ignatian Way. Um, the Ignatian Way was a major trade route from Western Europe all the way over to Persia. There were north-south train, uh, you know, trade routes, the Silk Road and, and um, the King's Highway, but the Ignatian Way started from the Apian Way, which is right there in Rome, and Rome had built this amazing highway, and it ran right through Thessalonica, from what we know as Europe into Asia and into uh, the eastern part of that region of the world. And Paul was dropping, it'd be like walking into the harbors of New York or walking into the harbors of Houston. It was a major metropolitan area. And it was made up of folks from all over, Romans and Greeks and some Jews. And they didn't know anything about Jesus. Just like so many folks you're gonna meet this week. And I want you to be just as intentional. Now, let me just read to you what we're gonna study tonight. And then I wanna go back and just deconstruct it for you and just give you some real encouragement because it's been really encouraging to me. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter one. I, I, I wanted to teach chapter one, verse one and just stay there the whole time and I'm not going to. So we're gonna get through chapter one tonight. Watch this. Paul and Silvanus, also called Silas in your Bible, and Timothy, we'll come back to these guys, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, 
but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that so much so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia, and it's actually Achaia, okay, in the way you pronounce it in that language, but you know, we see Achaia when we say Ai, but it's Achaia. But also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we, we have no need to say anything. For they themselves, people from the furthest northern regions to the southern regions, they themselves report about what kind of reception we had with you and how we turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And you now wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Father, would you just let us learn what you want us to learn tonight in the precious minutes we've got together? I thank you for my friends here that I could write these 10 verses to again and again and again. I thank you for the body of Christ at Watermark that is just so so similar to the church in Thessalonica in their beginning. And this is not just a couple of months after my visit. This is for 20 years I have watched their work of faith and their labor of love and their steadfastness of hope. And it has caused me, as you know, Father, to have endless rejoicing and thanksgiving for my brothers and sisters that are here. And I know there's other folks in our little Thessalonican gathering today who don't know what we know yet and don't know our Lord Jesus, whom you raised from the dead and who rescues people from the wrath to come. And so I pray this weekend you would add to other people who would have a work of faith, a labor of love and steadfastness of hope. But Lord, we thank you that you decided to preserve this book for your church for ages to come. And here we are studying it. And I pray that it would not return void. It would be full of life for us and would refresh us. And it would make us excel still more that we might be a church that, that causes thanksgiving to come to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. Goodness gracious. All right. Let me, um, let me just say this. That what's so great about this book is, you know, pastors spend a lot of time having to, to correct and to teach. And what's really unique about this church that Paul wrote to, now listen, it's early, okay? It's really early. When, when Paul went to Thessalonica and he got there, and you can see all this in Acts 17. I don't know if I'll actually read in Acts 17 or not tonight. But when he went to this one city, um, he was there for three Sabbaths and there was an uproar. And um, so much so that people were being threatened and the believers, the folks that had come to understand what Paul had preached, pleaded with him and begged him, maybe even cut a deal with authorities and said, if we get him out of here, will you back off a little bit? And they smuggled him out of there at night. And he went to another town, a town called Berea, which you can see on that little map. And, and then from there, he left Timothy and, and, and Silas, Silvanus, in that area of Berea. He went on down to Athens. He had this amazing message he gave in Athens. And then um, Timothy... And, and Silas came and joined him there or in Corinth. And, um, and Paul was so nervous about what was going on back up there in Thessalonica because they had to leave abruptly in the middle of the night that he said, man, Timothy, you got to go up there to Thessalonica. And you got to find out how they're doing it. So, so Timothy went back up there and now Paul went to Corinth. And when Paul was in Corinth, Timothy returned and he gave Paul a report. And then he wrote this letter. 
Okay, so think about this. He was with these people under a month. And he caused all kinds of trouble for them. And he got kind of whisked out in a way that he wasn't wild about. And he was desperate to see how people that he had shared the story of Jesus with were doing. He sends Timothy back. Timothy gives him a report. It's a great report. And he writes this letter. There's not a lot of rebuke in this letter. There's one clarification about how they should handle themselves a little bit differently morally now that they've got their arms around Jesus. And we'll get to that in chapter four. But by and large, this is a letter of incredible encouragement. And it's why, I just wanna show you, sometimes when you study the Bible, this is really, really helpful to look at. Let me just show you um, a number of different ways that Paul starts letters, okay? So it, you're not gonna be able to turn there fast enough with me, but in a chronological way, from Romans through most of the pastoral epistles, I'm gonna give you a little quiz. This is just how to train you um, in the art of observation. And I'm gonna to read to you all these other different salutations or hellos. And then I wanna to read to you the salutation to the Thessalonians, and I wanna see if you can tell if there's something different. Okay, are you ready? A little Bible study? So Romans chapter one, verse one. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now watch this. Corinth, when he wrote to the Corinthians, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Second Corinthians, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Galatians, Paul, an apostle, not sent from man nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Look at this, Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus. Colossians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Now, 1 Thessalonians. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. The church of Thessalonica and God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace to you. Okay, what was it? What's missing there? What's Paul not throwing in their face? He doesn't tell them what his authority is. He doesn't drop on them, hey, listen, dude, I'm your apostolic presence. He doesn't say, I'm coming to you, I am sent from God to, and then there's not a lot of correction here. There's not a lot of strong teaching here that is corrective. Now listen, there was later going to be um, some teaching that he had to give them, but this is a really unique relationship. It's tender. It's probably just a couple of months after the first month that he met them. And he's not rebuking them. He's just celebrating what he sees. And he's coming to them and he doesn't need to remind them that I'm an apostle. I, I, was, um, I was speaking at a pastor's conference uh, down at uh, Oak Cliff Bible with Tony Evans. And we did a Q&A. Tony and I were on stage. And as you know, within certain um, expressions of Jesus' church, people like to take the name Bishop or apostle, you know, uh, in front of their title, right? And a lot of guys that were sitting out there, uh, it was a predominantly African-American crowd um, that was down there at Oak Cliff Bible. And uh, one of the questions that was submitted to Dr. Evans and I was this. Um, hey, is it appropriate for a pastor to call himself bishop? We know some guys in this town who go by that. And, um, and or apostle, you know, the apostle Todd and often his wife, Alex, the apostolette. You know, that's a lot of times in churches like that, you, you've got those kind of titles given. And so I start 
And, um, you know, again, I'm a guest of Tony. These are hundreds of pastors from all across the country that, that are there really because of their love and respect for him. And um, I go, well, let me just say this. The word bishop, I'll start with that, is really just an English transliteration of the Greek word episkopos, which is um, a word that's kind of interchangeable at times with shepherd and pastor. So if what you just mean by that is pastor and you want to call yourself bishop, I guess that's fine. The problem is it's really related to a form of ecclesiology, which is hierarchical and denominational, which I don't see in my New Testament. So I guess you could use bishop if you know what it means, but it's a pretty loaded term and I'm not sure I would use it. And apostle, well, let's just say in the Bible, apostle literally, specifically, the word means one sent forth. And the um, typical definition of apostle you can find in 1 Corinthians 9 um, is somebody who's seen the literal resurrected Lord and who does attesting miracles and is typically part of the foundation of the church. It's a unique role in the New Testament order. And so I would be really careful with apostle. And um, that's kind of what I said. I added to that, I go, hey, I'll just say this. A lot of times people use those titles because they want to intimidate you and impress you. And so if they're an apostle, I mean, you better, you know, you better just pay extra special attention. And so I think a lot of times beware of folks who take those titles and ascribe them to themselves because um, they might be on a bit of a power trip and maybe putting themselves in a position Jesus himself doesn't want to be. And uh, I kind of turned to look at Tony and Tony just went, no, <laughs> and handed the mic back to me. I like Tony's answer better than mine, all right? I'm not gonna walk around here and say I'm Bishop Todd or I'm an apostle because biblically an apostle uh, is somebody who's seen the literal resurrected Lord God sent on a very specific mission. But Paul, what you need to understand about this church is Paul is so in love with this group of people. It's why I say, man, this is a letter, you know, I would, I would write to you guys and because I, I just, and I'll say this a little bit, what I, I show you in verse three when Paul talks about how he, he's constantly giving thanks, actually in verse two, I, I, I pray a lot for you. I just got away with um, a couple of the other guys that serve in, in senior leadership of this church. I, every now and then they put up senior pastor as my title here. That's an unbiblical term. I know what they mean and I know why we use it, but, but I'm just a pastor. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you will, there is a senior leadership team here. This is not a church run by me, right? Um, this is a church run by us. As God tells us in the New Testament that it should be. And so there's a group of us, and it's an unfortunate term. One of the words that's used for um, leaders of the church is elders. And so we, in our language, when we think of elders, we think of age, we think of elderly people. And it's important that we don't um, lay our hands on leaders too soon, not just chronologically, but certainly in their spiritual chronological development, because um, it's easy to get lost in pride and have a, a, a vanity of position and become abusive in power. And so he says, there's some ways you can test who the spiritual leader should be and make sure you get the right kind of spiritual leadership. And can I just say this to you, especially to my, my gals, my friends there that are single, I'll just tell you, be very slow in putting yourself under the authority of anybody. The Bible does not say women submit to men. The Bible does say wives submit to your husbands. The Bible does say you younger men um, be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourself in humility with one another. So all of us are to be subject to God-given authority in the local context. But you get to choose what your church family is. 
And one of the very first things you should do when you're here is just to vet the kind of people that are leading you. And, and um, are they marked by the things that God says should mark you as a leader? The Bible says they should be above reproach. And then it kind of unpacks seven to nine different things that, that would help you know that they're above reproach if, if they're not addicted to wine and not lovers of money and they lead their own individual house as well. If they can do that, and there's many other things, then potentially they can lead the house of God. Well, can I just say this to, to some young gals? And listen, you want to be really careful who you yoke yourself with. Don't put yourself underneath a guy that isn't going to lead you the way Jesus leads and love you the way Jesus loves. He gives his life for the church. It's, it's the Gentiles, which is to say the pagans, who use their position, their power, their physical prowess to be abusive. But Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life away for you. Marry a guy that does that. And by the way, not just because he's courting you, because when he's courting you, he's got the sail on. And he doesn't want to just put a ring on your finger. If you're wise and pure, he wants to do more than put a ring on your finger. And you make him wait. And don't tell him, don't listen to a guy who says, well, if you love me, you would. No, no, no. You tell him, if you love me, you would honor me and cherish me right now. You wouldn't try and get your tongue in your mouth, my mouth, or any other appendage into your hand. Let him wait. Let him show you he's a servant leader. Let him seek hard after God. Watch the way he treats those who can do nothing for him. And then maybe you might want to consider spending some time with him alone. Right? So, man, and listen, you know, I'll just tell you, I was with um, our leadership here the last couple of days. We got away, you know, Thursday and Friday. And, um, and we spent a lot of time praying for you. But can I just tell you, so many of our prayers were just rooted in thanksgiving. Can I just say this else about the leadership of the church? I'm teaching you right here out of, out of um, Thessalonians. This is not, we always say Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians. Paul didn't write 1 Thessalonians. Paul and Silvanus, same word as Silas, and Timothy. That's who wrote this book. Let me show you, um, Paul just picked up Timothy in Acts 16. Timothy probably didn't have a whole lot to add to the letter, but he got a co-write, right? And um, it's the Holy Spirit who really brought this forward. There's no question I would say Paul was the managing editor, but this is really, really important. Let me just say this to you. Great men are always a part of great teams. It's why, Christian, we want you to not be isolated. We want you to work together. Let me just um, say this to you. Better together is not just a cute little phrase. It is a biblical fact. And if you're here and you're not a part of a community of young Timothys and warrior Silases, then you're not gonna be the Paul that God wants you to be. If you are in a community, Watermark members, and there are people around you that are not on mission, that are not looking for the next Thessalonica, where the, where the business of the world is passing through to show up and get beat up as you speak up for the glory of God, then tell us and we will rush in and make sure around you are other missional people because God wants you to be on mission 
together. Let me just show you who Paul was on this second missionary journey with. This is in Acts chapter 15, verse 22. This is at the, the council of Jerusalem where they're, they're sending out word from the leadership of the church about whether or not Paul should be up to what he's up to and whether or not Jew and Gentile should come together under Jesus. And the answer was a resounding yes. In, at the very end of this council that had happened, this is what they say. It seemed good to the apostles and the other leaders of the church with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch. Do you remember the map I showed you? They started in Jerusalem. They went up um, to uh, Damascus and then all the way up to Antioch. And it says, they, they, they sent them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas who were on the first missionary journey. They sent a guy named Judas, also called Barsabbas, and Silas. It's the same guy that shows up in Thessalonica. Leading men among the brethren. Now watch this. This is what's true of him. Acts 15, 32. Judas and Silas also being prophets themselves. Men that God had affirmed were appropriately bringing forth the word of God. You have to remember, there is no New Testament. And so what's happening is that God is working in men to bring forth perfect truth from the throne of God that is going to be preserved so that the church can be built. And Silas is one of them. In, in, in Acts chapter 16, Silas, Silvanus, in verse 37, it says, in, 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 um, in Philippi, where was one of their very first stops, and they got beat up. Silas wasn't just along to watch Paul do the work. Silas was there with Paul getting beaten. Paul says to them, hey, they've beaten us in public without trial. That they is he and Silas and young Timothy. So Silas is a proven warrior, a prophet of God who could teach the word of God and is a faithful, faithful brethren. Um, there's something here for you, okay? One of the things that um, I get asked a lot is, hey, I want a mentor. And um, I just, I, I, there's a real truth real quick on that, all right? Um, sometimes what guys mean is, hey, can I have a cup of coffee with you every week and you coach me up and I can tell people that you're my mentor and maybe you'll even create opportunities for me in business and some other things. I, I, I think, listen, I think we ought to be, I, I, mentor is not a word I'm wild about, discipleship is. Timothy is being drug along by the apostle Paul. Sylvanus is like the apostle Paul. And they always had somebody with him. And so let me just say this to you. If you are here and you've never been discipled, you don't have somebody that you can walk through life with. I want to take away that excuse here. We are a disciple-making church. And on that little perforated section of the Watermark News, if you're a member, this is, then you can say, I have never been discipled. I don't know what to do. I want to learn more about how to affect the Thessalonicas where this Ignatian way, the, the currency of the world is moving through my city and I don't know how to reach people in it. I don't know how to suffer for the gospel. I don't know what a work of faith is. I don't know how to labor of love. I don't know what steadfastness of hope means. Will you help me? Yes. Today's your day. Take that perforated section and say, I'm faithful, right? Because I can't spend, or men at this church, or women at this church can't spend time with you unless this is true. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. 
These things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. Now, here's what I want to say to the rest of us, maybe who go, yeah, I've been discipled and, and I, I have become a person who can bring forth the word of God, not like new revelation. I mean, if God wants to do that today, he still can just make sure it's new revelation and not just some weak horoscope that could vaguely fit any person and call it the prophecy of God. What a mockery, all right? When you see prophecy in the New Testament, sometimes it's what's called um, foretelling and sometimes it's foretelling. Foretelling is like, thus says the Lord, this is what's gonna go down. And the Bible standard for that is like perfection. You don't miss it or you're a false prophet. Foretelling is what most of the New Testament ministry of prophecy is. Not probably in Acts 15 with Silvanus. I think he was doing some laying down gospel, if you will, or laying down truth for the church. But most of us are prophetic in that we bring forth the clarion teaching of God's word. I'm, I'm teaching prophetically tonight. I'm saying some things to you. And here's something I'm saying to you. Hey, guys, if you're mature, hey, ladies, if you're mature, Titus 2 tells you to be a discipler. Here's the thing. My word to you is don't add another meeting to your day. You're all way too busy. Okay, don't add another meeting to your day, but add another man, forgive me, ladies, add another woman, women, to your day's meetings. This is how you disciple, okay? Just bring them along. It's not like you meet for them in some private one-on-one special mentoring relationship. Just bring them with you. Anybody, just stand by me after a service. Watch the way I, I listen to people, pray for people, respond to theological questions to people. Get confronted and don't get elevated. I'd love to share with you. But I'm going to say, let's go, come along. And I expect you to teach and disciple others as well. So do you got this? This is no small point, okay? Paul is not this superhero isolated out there changing the world. Paul understands better together is not a cute little phrase. It's a biblical idea. And we ought to be about doing that together. Great men, great women are always a part of great teams. Are you alone, Christian? Then you are not acting Christianly. Mark 3.13. Mark 3.13. Let me just say this to you as I wrap up the whole um, mentoring idea. Jesus spends all night praying about who the guys are he should hang out with. He went up to the mountain and he prayed and then he summoned to himself the ones that he wanted and they came to him it says um, in verse 14, it goes on, and then it says, he appointed the 12 that they would go out and they would be with him. Watch this. Jesus didn't say, come listen to me, I'm your rabbi. He didn't say, come learn from me, I'm your mentor. He said, come live with me. And I'll teach you God's ways. Christianity is much more caught than taught. And by the way, I'll just tell you this. You know why we're such rabid? Well, you know why we're so hard on this idea of being a biblical community? Because folks will come to Bible studies all day long. They'll bring the little folders. They'll work through NAV 2-7, equip disciple material all day long. They go say a word, fill in the blank, look up a verse, write it down. But when you say now, go have a faith that works and a love that labors and that endures in the midst of persecutions, and they're like, oh, oh whoa, 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 you want me to love people? I'm here to learn, man. I'm here to listen, but you want me to live this out? That's crazy. 
Can I get an amen? Community, living with other Christians, traveling with Sylvanus and Timothy is hard. Okay, right. I, I purposely didn't say marriage is hard because we can't say amen too loud without getting the holy elbow from the spouse, <laughs> right? But look, man, everybody is normal till you get to know them. Everybody. Okay? People are hard. And God just says, hey, learn to love each other. Be diligent to preserve the unity and the bond of peace. I'm trying to tell you, Paul was not some individualistic, isolated individual. God grew him. Martin Luther said, I learned more about grace and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in marriage than I did in the monastery. That doesn't surprise me a bit. It's why I don't want you to just come and have a cup of coffee with me and say I'm your mentor. No, come walk with me. Come to a meeting. Come listen. And by the way, when I show up and I'm not alone, don't say, hey, Todd, I, this, is, this is really unimportant. This is a working hospital. If you go down to UT Southwestern and you see a doctor, the doctor when he walks in is not going to be alone. There's going to be a couple of fellows and residents right there with him. And you're going to go, hey, doc, this is kind of, you know, the hospital gown's not exactly the most uh, modest piece of clothing I have. And you want me to roll over and there's two people there and one of them looks like the, the opposite sex? They are. Get them out of here. The doctor says, hey, this is a working hospital. We're all going to learn how to deal with the back of that hospital gown. Roll over. <laughs> right? Now, if you don't like that, then you can walk out holding the back of your hospital gown and go find out where you want. But listen, guys, that's what we are here. We're a working hospital. And we're going to have people with us. Come be one of them. Now listen, it's not just some joker they pull off the street. It's somebody who's shown themselves faithful, who's done the learning they should do and the maturity they should. So when they walk in that room, it's just not crazy. Right, do you see what's just right here? I didn't blow through this. Why is the word apostle not there? Because this is a letter of love. And I want to tell you, if all the letters you write are letters of rebuke, you're not writing all the letters God wants you to write. And I want to tell you, when I pray for you, I'm thankful for you. I just want to tell you, I love this place. I love you, friends. Now, who do I love? I love the church, the church of Jesus Christ here, who are in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been given grace, enjoy it, and who have been given peace, live in it. Our peace is not in um, our circumstances, our peace is in our hope. We know why this world is broken. We know why there's trials and there's troubles among us. We know that this world is not our home. We are not trying to earn God's love. We are in a relationship with the God of the universe who is holy and by no means let the guilty go unpunished, but he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. We are in a place of forgiveness and grace and unity, and we boldly go before the throne of grace to God our Father. We are not trying out. If you are not in Christ, you are in trouble. I am not trying to earn God's love. Until you know that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more and nothing you can do to make God love you less, you don't understand grace. The grace of God has come to the church of God. It is a free gift it wasn't without cost. No, it was at the highest of costs. And Paul preached that to the people in Thessalonica. He said, this is what God has done for you. 
He took the Old Testament. He walked him through it and said, you see this in Isaiah 53? It was fulfilled in Jesus. I met him. He was dead, but he's alive because God has declared with power that he is the means through which you can be reconciled to him. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And what are we worried about? This is, a, this is just a wisp of a life. And so be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with thanksgiving and prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to the God who died for you. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind. Paul's telling the church in Thessalonica, I don't know what's happened since I left, but when I was there, they were coming hard after you and they were beating me. But remember grace and the peace you have. Verse two, we give thanks to God always for you. I guess so. Here's why. Let me just walk you through this. First Thess chapter two, verse 13. Paul repeats this idea. In verse uh, 13 of chapter two, he says, I give thanks to God because when you received the word of God, you accepted it not as the word of men. It wasn't just Paul's idea. It wasn't Paul's bestseller. It wasn't Paul's... Um, Philosophy, it was you took what I told you as something that just happened factually and you embraced it as God revealing in history who he was. I thank God for that. Verse 14, I thank God that you became imitators of the churches of God, the ones that are suffering in Jerusalem, the ones that sent me out and, and are being, um, that are paying a high cost because they've said that Jesus is the Messiah and the Jews hate him and the Romans aren't really wild about him because there's another king and it's costing him professionally and it's costing him physically, but they're giving money to me and to Sylvanus and Barnabas is somewhere else with John Mark and the gospel's going out and you're just like them. I see you sacrificing for the gospel. Verse 19, chapter two, because you're our hope, your joy, you're our crown, our exaltation. I gotta tell you, guys, you, my friends at Watermark, that's what you are to me. I just walk around and I, I, I meet people who know you and they like me because I'm one of you. And I'm just like, what a joy. Uh, this is a true story. And I, I, I wanna be careful when I say these things because this is all a work of God. All right, so you know that little crazy brand that we've got, you know, that W with the wave through it, right? That, that, that little watermark logo. This happened at a, at a place not far from here. Um, Somebody was walking around in there and they just go, hey, can I just stop you for a second? Yeah, why? Because everybody, what's that thing on your arm? And they kind of look, they go, what are you talking about? And you know, uh, they go, that, that W, what's that W? And they go, oh, um, well, it's a, it's a, it's a logo. <laughs> um, we're a part of a, um, a part of a what? A person says, part of a what? He said, well, we're part of a, it's a, it's a church. It's called Watermark. And the person goes, Unbelievable. Do you know that every single person that comes in here that has that thing on, they, they make eye contact with me, they're kind to me, they're not just, they just love me. And th those folks, everybody that has that W is different. And I just wouldn't know what the heck that was, right? And by the way, you're probably, and, and I kinda, I, and, and actually, you know, you're kinda like, really? That many people have been there and they don't know what it is? That's a problem, right? You know, and they haven't invited them. There was some of the twist of that story about how, no, they, they've all invited me to come but remind me and all this different stuff. I'll tell you, this is a true story. I was one time, it's it around Christmas. I was at um, Target. I was checking out, and um, the gal in front of me had three small kids, 
And, and we're sitting there and, and she's trying to get her stuff together and she, I see that the money that is gonna be required to buy it, she has enough cash and I can see her start to push some different things back and her kids were doing what all kids do, which is putting other things up, <laughs> right? And they were doing some clear Christmas shopping but also some essential shopping and I saw this woman trying to sort it out and I just said to the lady, and it was taking some time, and I just said, hey, excuse me, I'm not doing this because I'm in a rush, but can we just, I said to the lady, can you just put this all together? And I started putting my stuff up there. And I pushed hers down, and I took the stuff that she had put back and a few things that her kids had put up there, and I put it on there, and she just looked up at me, and she says, no, no. I said, no, please. It's going to go quicker, and I kind of made it about me. Actually, I'm in a little bit of a rush. Let's just do it together. And, and you know, just ring it up and put those in the bags, and I got it. We're all together. And the lady at Target got a big smile. She just started ringing it up, and I put my stuff up there. And that lady looked at me, and she just kind of got her kids, and she said, man, thank you so much. I said, well, listen. I said, you're welcome. It's what we do. We're, right? we, we're, we love each other. And she says, how can I thank you? I go, you don't need to thank me. I said, but I'll tell you what I'd love you to do. I mean, I would love for you, if you want to know kind of what, how I learned to just when I have the chance to do things like this, I'd love you. And she just went, oh, don't do it. I go, don't. She goes, she goes are you going to invite me to come to a church? And I said, yes. She goes, I can't. She goes, I can't. And I said, well, hey, listen, that's okay. I, I, I didn't do this so you'd come to my church, but I want you to know why I did it. I want this small act of kindness to remind you of God's great love. But I, I, I was going to, and, and she goes, well, no, no, let me tell you why. She said, because somebody has been so kind to me where I work, and they keep inviting me to this place. And I told them if I was ever going to go to a church, it would be theirs. I go, what was the name of that church? She goes, it's called Watermark. And I promised her I would go. I go, you know what, go to her church. Go with them. Go with them. That would be a great place to go. And just be loved. And I did kind of say to her, I go, and if you come, it was you know, for Christmas Eve. I said, We'll probably see each other anyway. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, man, praise God. This is not about, we don't, we don't worship a W here. We worship Jesus here. You know what breaks my heart about that first story? Is it should be like, hey, what's that thing in your neck right there? What's that on your ear, that little, that little vertical line with a horizontal line across it? How, everybody that comes in here that wears that thing, they love me differently. Every single person, they say they know this Jesus guy, and there's something different about them. Right? It just breaks my heart that that's not the perception of the world. But I'll tell you what, we have a responsibility for that W because it represents the cross. It's Jesus' church. And I pray whatever the logo is of every other church in this area, other people would look at that logo and go, hey, who are those people? Because they love me differently and they invite me and it's clear about what they're inviting me to. Let's go, church. Man, you guys, you bless me. All right, look at verse 3. Constantly bearing in mind, this is three things here. I gotta go quickly. I, I, I tag them white American churches who have times that you stop. I'd go till 10 o'clock with you if I could. <laughs> Constantly bearing in mind, this is why we give thanks. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith. Let me just stop and talk about work of faith. The word there is ergon, right? You have office chairs that are ergonomically correct. It comes from the Greek word for work. It's the word that means done, like it's doing what it's supposed to do. You, if you know Jesus, you're supposed to have a work. 
Now, we is not doing a work. That is terrible English. But we ain't doing a work that will earn God's love for us. Paul wrote to the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation. Your work of faith, watermark, your work of faith, church, is not to earn you admission to heaven. Why? Because we are in God the Father and in Jesus Christ because of grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Even the faith you have. It's not as a result of work so that no one should boast. But verse 10 is true. We are God's workmanship. He does something different in us that makes us different in checkout lines at Target. Something different in our families. Something different in our dating communities. Something different in our persevering, persevering in our traveling with Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy in community. We love one another. And it has evidence. It's out there. We're his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for those good works which God prepared beforehand for us that we should walk in them. It's how we live. And what Paul is saying, I've heard from Timothy, who just went up there, that you guys are working out your salvation in fear and trembling. Keep it up. Secondly, your labor of love. Now, this is interesting. You might go, wait, work and labor, aren't they the same thing? No, they're not the same thing at all. Work is what is done. Labor is the effort expended while you're doing what needs to be done. Does that make sense? Labor is what it sounds like. Man, this is some serious labor. It's hard. Love is hard. Have you noticed that? Lust ain't hard. Infatuation ain't hard. Spring break romances aren't hard. Love is hard. God's rescue of humanity was hard. And Jesus labored for us. And he says, hey, <laughs> the way I've loved you, love one another. It ain't easy. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. That's your work. That's what you should do. And it ain't easy. But it's worth it. That labor of love that God has us in. I see you guys excelling still more. I see that toil. And that's exactly what it says. Your steadfastness of hope that, that word for steadfastness, that word right there is, is hupomone. It means, hupo it means under, super means above. Mone means to stand or remain. And what he's saying is you remain under the pain and the difficulty of the tribulation of this world and you're still who God wants you to be. Is your marriage hard? You remain steadfastly committed to the love in Jesus' name you said you would give that bride or that groom or that adopted child or that neighbor in your Thessalonica. Because you know what's going on here, that you serve Jesus. And you know that he chose you. Guys, listen, verse four. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. He said, I'm gonna represent myself on earth through you. and you're gonna represent me. Church, you were chosen. The faith you have, it's a gift. If you're here and you go, well, how do I know if God's gonna choose me? Here's how, you acknowledge you're a sinner 
who deserves to go to hell and you are without God and without hope and there is no way you can ever be good enough, long enough that you are a wretch and you deserve the condemnation of God and you respond to my declaring to you that Christ Jesus was crucified for you and that apart from him, you've got no hope and you get on your knees tonight and you say, oh God, that you would show me your people, that I could know them, that the word of God would be taught, that I could respond to it, that the power of the gospel was declared to my ears that you gave me the ability to hear, and I hear it. That's how you know you're chosen. So come on. You're without excuse. Verse five, Paul says, for our gospel, not my slick celebrity pastor way. So sick of that. Not my funny hilarity not my stories, not my winsomeness, but the gospel that God gave me that I am a steward of and a servant of. That's what I brought you, Thessalonica. I don't care what kind of sneakers you got, what kind of haircut you got, what kind of stories you can tell. If you don't have the gospel, you are worthless and a distraction. So young leaders, quit focusing on your sneakers and on your haircuts and your stories and preach the word because it's the power of God for salvation. And if you wanna wear cool sneakers when you do it, God bless you. <laughs> for our gospel would not come to you in word only, but also in power. That's what the word of God always does. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11 says this, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and don't return without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and, and make the seed flourish, and give bread to the eater, so will my word be, he says, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return empty without accomplishing what I sent it out to do. Can I just tell you something? You don't need to be Johnny Eloquent. You got a Bible, read it. I got to tell you how many times I'm out sharing with somebody, the whole, hey, you have a faith and this and that. Has anybody ever told you? I just take my little Bible in my pocket, in my phone. I spin it around. I go, read it. Read it. It's, it's my gospel. It's what's changed me. It's the good news. It can be your gospel. It's Jesus' gospel, and it alone has the power of salvation. You don't have to be winsome. You got to be kind and loving and gentle and humble and know that you're not smarter than that person and that they've probably been really hurt. And emotionally, somebody who took the name of Jesus has been abusive to them. They call themselves an apostle to exploit them, a bishop. And so be gentle and be kind, be persevering, but just give it to them. I love W.A. Criswell. When he was pastor down there at First Baptist, this is what W.A. said. When a man goes to church... He often hears a preacher in the pulpit rehash everything that he has read in the editorials, the newspapers, the magazines, on the TV commentaries. He hears the same stuff over and over again. He yawns, he goes out, he plays golf on Sunday. No, when a man comes to church, actually what he's saying to you is this. Preacher, I know what the TV commentator is supposed to say. I hear him every day. I know what the editorial writer has to say. I read it every day. I know what the magazines have to say. I read them every week. Preacher, what I want to know is, does God have anything to say? If God's got anything to say, tell me what it is. Well, I'm telling you, what God has is good news, and he loves you. And I thank you, verse 6, that you become imitators of those 
others here who know the Lord. And you've received the word in, in the midst of many tribulations. There it is again. Like Thessalonica is not a church satisfied because of circumstance, but it's a church that is serving through every circumstance. So are you in sickness and brokenheartedness and difficulty. You're being the church. And so you become an example to all the believers. Macedonia is the northern region. Achaia is the southern region, all the cities. of He's saying from north to south, everybody's talking about what in the world's going up there in Thessalonica. Can I just tell you, Watermark, I mean it. I, the whole world's paying attention to you. They really are. I get, I get emails from all around the world. I got one this weekend from Korea asking if they can come and learn about what Jesus is doing here because the renown of who you are has made its way across the globe. That, that is God. And Paul's not just saying that's the first six weeks because, I mean, people thought, there's no way Thessalonica, that's the Ignatian way, bro, that's Vegas. Ain't no way the gospel's gonna take root there. It had, and people were talking about it. And the gospel's taking root right here in Dallas, Texas, and Fort Worth, and Frisco, and Plano. Let's go. And South Dallas is coming. Rockwall is getting busy. All right, let's go. Let's go. Here we go. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only north and south, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone forth so that we, there it is again, St. Just Paul, had, have no need to say anything about who you are. For everybody else is talking about what kind of reception the gospel's had with you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living God. I, I wish I could preach this whole message right there. When you come to Christ, you turn from and turn to. You don't just flee immorality. You get after it. You embrace righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on God from a pure heart. If you don't have a work of faith, if you're not embracing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, I don't care. You know, we're not just slapping hands reaching for cookies or reaching for pornography. That's do-goodism. That's moral therapeutic deism. It's not the gospel. We repent from that stuff, but we run after Jesus. Not because he hates bad, but because we've learned to love good. We turn from because we have turned towards life indeed, and we wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who has rescued me from the wrath that is to come. Can you believe it? What a church, I love you. If you're here and you're not a part of Jesus' church, would you just, just say, God, choose me. I don't know why you would. Do you know what I've done? He knows what you've done. And he went to a cross for it. Just come. Come and receive the grace of God. I did. It's changed my life. Father, I thank you for this church. Would you be glorified in it? Would you make your renown go forward? Would you let our work of faith, our consistent, diligent labor of love, our steadfastness in this world cause others to give thanks to you? Not so that others would see our good works and glorify your church in Dallas, Fort Worth, Frisco, Plano, and other places, but so that they would see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake. This is his church. This is your glory, and we love you. In Jesus' name.